Is the latest wave of technology finally going to eliminate the need for humans to make critical decisions about the supply chain? Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. Throughout history, Every new innovation in technology has been accompanied by prophets of doom saying that humans are in danger of becoming dispensable. It's no different today with the arrival of artificial intelligence to guide decision-making in the supply chain. So is that moment finally upon us? We welcome back to the program Dr. Yossi Sheffi, Alicia Gray II, Professor of Engineering Systems at MIT, to talk about his new book, The Magic Conveyor Belt. Supply Chains, AI, and the Future of Work. Actually, this wide-ranging book is about many aspects of global supply chain management, but we're devoting most of our time to a discussion of the impact of AI and robotics on that discipline. We'll talk about the potential upside and downside of chat GPT and other aspects of the technology. Both are quite worthy of consideration. And we'll see where it all lands. Here's my conversation with Yossi Sheffi. Dr. Yossi Sheffi, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much for having me. My pleasure. New, new book, The Magic Conveyor yes. Belts, Supply Chains, AI, and the Future of Work. I find it interesting that you referenced conveyor belt in your title, and AI, basically you trace the entire history of automation, at least in the warehouse, I mean, for the earliest form <laughs> of it to the latest. So it just kind of leads me to wonder if basically you describe the entire continuum. Is this just who we are? Are we just, I don't know, want to say doom, but are we fated to just go on and invent ways to put ourselves out of business, <laughs> out of work? No, 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 no. We are going to uh, continue inventing new ways to do the work and increase standard of living in the process. If you look back at history, every industrial revolution there were fears that there's not going to be any work. Turns out, yes, some we don't eliminate. We don't have any more elevator operators. We don't have any more women running exchanges and plugging stuff into holes to connect people. So there's, clearly some jobs have completely disappeared. Other jobs have changed. But by and large, every industrial revolution eliminated some jobs, changed many, many more jobs. But by and large, a lot more jobs were created. So I expect the same thing will happen today. Just playing out the same scenario that comes along with every step forward to technology, I guess. Also interesting that you mentioned maybe there's some myth-making in the past. The idea of Ned Ludd, famously of the yeah. Luddites, possibly didn't even exist as an individual, maybe not even a real yeah, person. It's not clear that he ever existed, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> people refer to him as General Ladd or Ned Ladd, and there was a whole movement, the Luddites, of course, that were smashing machines because the mechanized looms were uh, replacing the master weavers with people who could do, a lot of people could do their job. So people were very concerned about their jobs, and they attacked yeah. the machine, and it led to a lot of violence. As an aside, by the way, at the end, 
hundreds of them were uh, sent to Australia, which at the time was a penal colony. And now <laughs> they are the proud equivalent of the Mayflower descendants. Right. Uh, you mentioned you do, you're not above describing the coming robot apocalypse, although I imagine you would put that into quotations. Yeah. You're very yeah. ambivalent. You're very nuanced about it. You, you refer to losers and uh, possible winners and losers. You say job disruption is a messy reality. And yet you're still coming down on the idea that human beings are going to be playing a role in this in the future. Yes, I absolutely mm -hmm. think that human beings will play a role in the future. Let me expand on this a little bit. First of all, there are several things that humans are just better than machines. Humans are more flexible. They can change on the fly. They have uh, empathy. They can create collaboration system where none existed before. Literally on the fly, it happened during the pandemic. They have a moral code. They have certain risk tolerance. The machine cannot decide if to take the high risk, high reward or the safe bet. In many cases, it requires understanding the context. Humans understand context. So that's one thing. Mm -hmm. Another thing is that humans will still be needed in the workplace. For example, let me give you some examples. So when ATMs came about, there were about 300,000 tellers in the United States, and everybody thought the tellers are gone, the profession is gone. There are now over 600,000 because what happened Opening banks, opening bank branches became a lot less expensive, so many of them were open. I don't know how it is where you live, Bob, but in downtown Boston, every second storefront is now a bank branch. Right. So right. A, lot, a lot more tellers are there. The big, biggest thing that we, it's very hard to forecast is the related increase in jobs. There are many examples. I'll give you just a quick one. When Ford automated the conveyor belt and, and started the revolution in manufacturing, the number of Ford employees went from several hundred to over 150,000 at the height of the Model T. Mm -hmm. But this was not the big impact of jobs. The big impact was jobs that the price of cars went down, people bought cars, and we started having highways and motor hotels, motel, so to speak, restaurants. It led to huge increase in the leisure industry. Yeah. So millions of jobs which were related to the fact that cars suddenly became less expensive. So it's hard to predict the jobs that are not directly related, but mm -hmm. new industries that will be created, new ways of spending time that will require people to serve us. So these are some of the issues that I'm talking about in my book. I was really surprised when I read in your book that about the ATMs, about the uh, increase in bank yeah. as a result. That's an amazing thing. But let's talk about some specific repetitive tasks that just seem very well suited for robots. Let's talk about the warehouse, for instance. Every conversation I have about warehouse automation these days has the expert assuring me that the humans will continue to play a role in the warehouse. We talk about cobots, collaborative robots, side-by-side -side working yeah. with robots. But I'm asking, that is actually an extremely repetitive kind of mundane job. Why not totally automate the warehouse? And we have some dark warehouses in the world already, quote-unquote dark. Why not just go yes. that way with that particular task and give humans something else to do? First of all, as I said before, humans have abilities to be much more flexible than robots. And as we live in a VUCA world, lots of uncertainty, lots of fluctuation, lots of ambiguity, mm -hmm. things change all the time. So people are much more adept at change and quick change. So we will still need people to work with the robots. Second, jobs will be, in some sense, even more fulfilling. 
because yes, robots will do part of the job, but people will have to oversee them, will have to take into account things that are out of the normal. Give you another mm-hmm. example. We talk about warehousing, talk about the customer service representative. We now have bots all over the place. You, you hardly talk to a human. You, you sure. talk to a bot when you call anybody. But the minute that you start saying agent or something like this, it means that something that the bot cannot solve and some human being comes online. The, their job is not to, t- you say, my computer doesn't work. So let's say half the calls are about I forgot to plug it in. <laughs> they don't have to do it. The bot can do it. But if it's something more complex, more interesting for the human, they do it. So in that sense, it elevates the job, not only the repetitive job. It also the case, I believe, in warehouses. Then it's a little different. We have still a problem with picking up some stuff that is being damaged by robots. But even this will be solved. Yet we see that when Amazon add robots all over the place, they also hired a million people in the last several years. So the combination seems to work best. In reality, there will be jobs that will be eliminated. I don't know if this is warehouse job because they're subject to so many fluctuations and changes. Possibly. At this point, I don't see it. I don't see autonomous trucking replacing jobs. When I say we're not there yet, we're not there yet in the foreseeable future. By the way, you referenced the acronym VUCA, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. That pretty much sums it all up in the supply chain these days, doesn't it? But, That's um, the word that we live in, in supply chain. <laughs> sure. Well, let's take it to a higher level, Yossi, sure. not just down at the conveyor belts and the pick face of a warehouse. This book is very up-to-date. You managed to get in stuff about chat GPT that only became public late last year. Generative IAI, generative artificial intelligence. You don't seem – even that doesn't, doesn't seem to concern you too much in this book. That that's, gonna, that's really scary to a lot of people that you're taking over high-level type human functions such as writing and speaking and suddenly automating that. No. But no, huh? You're not quite. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you that one of the first effects of every technology is so-called de-skilling, de-skilling right. the jobs. If you go to London and uh, ride a black taxi, the driver had to study for four years and pass what is called the toughest exam in the world because they have to know how to go from anywhere to anywhere in London in the shortest path and have to know the location of 10,000 restaurants, hotels, museums, everything in London with its Byzantine layout of streets. Now mm-hmm. comes Uber with an app, and now everybody can do it. So this is de-skilling the job, yet we see a lot of people are gladly signed up to be Uber drivers or Lyft drivers, whatever. Then people are still riding the black taxis. So jobs are not quite disappearing, but there are less skill involved, but more people are doing them. There could be a next step, which is elimination. It could be that when robotaxis will come about, maybe it will have a bigger impact, even though there's a huge question of public acceptance. Two other issues. Public acceptance. You know that airplane today, you go on a 777-787. These are drones. They can fly without a pilot. It used to be five people in the cockpit. Now there are only two. You actually mm-hmm. don't need anybody. But would you go on an airplane with, with nobody there? It's hard to imagine. Would That's you feel real, comfortable real driving? Real paradigm shift. <laughs> yeah. will, you, will you feel comfortable drive, driving on, on the highway with a huge autonomous truck next to you? Well, I'm still I'm still waiting for that moment in my life. I mean, on a very smaller scale, the first time I step into a taxi with no driver in, 
I know that's going to happen yeah. at some point, and many people do it already. It's just that I haven't. I don't know. Have you? Have you been in a car with no driver? No. But no. I, so it's going to feel weird that first time, isn't it? It's going to feel weird. <laughs> Let me tell you that in 1945, 15,000 elevator operator in New York went on a strike. They wanted more pay. Uh-huh. New York came to a grinding halt because people were afraid to go on an elevator without an operator. Even though they rode the elevator all the time, and they saw how simple it, the simple work that the elevator operator did. Mm-hmm. They were afraid to go on an elevator, and New York had to settle with them. Of course, oh this gave huge impetus, and two years later, Otis came out with an automated elevator that just had to press. Yeah, there's a, a whole issue of public acceptance of every technology. Yeah. Okay, so you talk about de-skilling. That's one phenomenon. But then again, there's the need for re-skilling, is to give the, yes. those people whose, whose jobs have been eliminated or changed new skills. We talk all the time throughout the history of the technology about how we're going to, quote-unquote, retrain workers. Does that ever really happen? Do the same workers actually ever get retrained, or do you bring in other people who do those jobs? I, I'm, I'm never clear on that. The answer is not one answer for, for everybody. There are many, many people who have been retrained and many companies who are retraining people. Look, at UPS, until the last CEO, all top management started by moving boxes and driving trucks. So obviously the company de-skilled them, the company reskilled them, the company sent them to school, the company gave them opportunity, the company mentored them and trained them. There are many, many examples of companies doing exactly that. Now, in terms of new technology, the good thing is, first, first of all, people have, in some extent, to take hold of their own fate. They have to keep learning. And the good news is there are many opportunities because of all the online availability of training and teaching. People can take many, many courses and upskill themselves virtually for free. Mm-hmm. So this is one area. But also companies can put in a lot more augmented technology. So you go... Let's go back to something that uh, uh, that we know. You go around the warehouse and look for a package. It tells you exactly where to go. It tells you what's in the package, how to handle it, and where to put it. So this is something that on an episodic case, it's not long-term training, but it shows you how to do the next task. Doing a lot of this can help people perform jobs. So this is the role of so-called cobots, being able to work with people mm. rather than against people. And there are many examples, whether it's of working side by side in manufacturing plant, in automotive. We now have the very roboticized in terms of doing the messy jobs, the painting, the welding. It's mostly done by robots. And by the way, the labor agrees with it because these are dangerous and unpleasant jobs. But it's hard to automate because of, at this point, because of labor resistance, many other jobs. But they do change. They do change. In in Germany, many of the Mercedes plants, workers are standing next to computer with iPad-like devices and kind of manage the robot. Mm. So... Okay, well, I want to get back to some of the higher-level stuff, because in the book, you mentioned, you asked the question, why supply chains are hard to operate and getting harder. And I love it that you laid out the supply chain for a toy car. <laughs> I mean, <Yeah>. 15 <laughs> different stages to build a toy car. Of course, 30,000 yeah. parts and a real one. But you did a great job of just showing us just how this so-called simplest supply chain is becoming so complex. Beyond the ability of human beings to figure out what to do and how to design and how to move forward, here comes AI, right, to make those decisions for us. 
there is that concern, though, about the so-called black box, the idea that we won't, in the, yes. we won't know how those decisions were arrived at when pre- prescriptive AI comes along. We are just going to have to, like, bow to the machine and say, okay, or do we need to give those machines the ability to explain themselves so we can understand what the so-called thought processes are? You're touching on one of the main downsides or problems of, of modern AI, and this is, in many cases, even the builders of the machines cannot fully understand why it comes up to a certain conclusion, and this means it will limit the application. Because people are not just not going to take it on faith. The question is, you have to be able to, to explain. Actually, there's some initial attempt to develop large language models that can explain how they get into a certain area. And I think DARPA is, is, is starting to do it. But this is a real issue, a big hurdle to the wide adoption of AI in critical decision-making context. For example... If we want to do a, a new investment and the machine will say, well, you can do A, you can do B. Well, I, I, if you don't explain to me how you got to A and how to got to B, I'm not sure I can take it. There's another issue altogether, and this is the machine suggests we'll do A or whatever. There are so many other considerations that have to do, for example, risk tolerance. Do I want the high risk, high reward, or do I want the safe environment, the safe decision? This means that I have to understand the context, and mm. people have to understand this, this context. So I think there's, in all of this, there's a significant role for people, aside from the fact, of course, that people live in the, in the real world and have uh, empathy and moral direction, have the ability to collaborate and communicate. Uh, there are things that are very hard for machine to do in the foreseeable future. We certainly hope in certain cases impossible for the machine to do in the foreseeable future. I mean, we want the information, we want the so-called intelligence, but the empathy and the, the human stuff, we kind of hope will always be there. I, I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> don't we all? Yeah, and I think you bring it down to the question of the book, too. I mean, there, the question to ask is, is this good? There's actually three different questions. Is it good for society? Is it good for business? Is it good for the individual? Will you check all those boxes ultimately? Are you that optimistic? It's clearly good for business because it's just another tool. So you try, you try it. If it doesn't work, you don't use it. At this point, I think it's good for business. Is it good for both society and individual? I think are, it, 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 it's the same issue. There are risks in the new AI. There are risks. We saw some now already attack ads for the 2024 elections generated by AI that look extremely realistic. Any one of my students can make a video with either candidate looking like a moron, talking nonsense. Mm-hmm. And it will look pretty pretty realistic. Deep fake. So, uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. AI-based fakes. And, and, and this is just one issue. There are things that, as I said, because we don't 100% sure where the machine is going, where the software can take us, that we don't know all the risks. And this is one of the, of course, disconcerning elements. We don't know exactly what's going on. So let me go on my optimistic bent. The good thing is that we know it. There's a lot of conversation about it. Companies like OpenAI and Google and Microsoft are putting guardrails on what you can get out of the queries. So you're not going to get racist remarks. Ask a GBT how to build a bomb, you're not going to get an answer. 
you're teaching the system to be moral? I thought morality was a human thing. I know it's not moral. Moral is a very, very complex thing. This is, and, and depends on a lot of things. This is simply not allowing to do certain things. You see the word bomb, you don't answer. I That's see. not moral. That's just, you, you see somebody said, okay, the N-word or something like this, don't answer. It tries to put guardrail. I, do, I would not call it moral. It's very far from moral. Just guardrail okay. on obvious stuff. And sometimes it's ridiculous. Let me give you an example. Part of the Microsoft, what's called BARD or whatever they, they call their GBT-like function, you mm -hmm. can put your text and it will analyze it. It will give you ideas for grammar, for how it works. But it also has guardrails. So, for example, sometimes I just put text out of my book about, I don't know, 500, 1,000 words. It was the text that described the Luddites and how the master weavers were losing their job. I got warning, 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 warning. Why? I use the word master. Master weaver. But master has a connotation of master slave. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. There's no context. If you choose master weaver, it's not anything racist. But the word master triggered this system to give me a lot of alerts. Yeah. That's what I mean. What, what people have is understand context, which the machines do not. And that's not moral. That's just not understanding. Well, you know, I find interesting. We're, we're talking at a very high level here, a philosophical level, and yet here I am speaking to the head of the supply chain program of the nation's leading engineering school. So maybe I'd, I'd like to go with the, uh, the motto, in engineers we trust, that they're going to save us <laughs> and solve all these, uh, these problems in the future. Of course. Don't go there. Don't uh, go combination. there. <laughs> no, no, okay. no, 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 because it's a combination of engineers, social scientists, ethicists, and honestly, an important job for politicians. The good things is that we're talking about it, and mm -hmm. we are raising all these alarms, and companies are trying to do something about this, and they'll get better at doing this. So the fact that unlike, let's say, the early day of the Internet, where all gaga, all the world we love and communicate with each other, we didn't think about the identity theft, and we didn't think about the terrorists communicating with each other, we didn't see the downside. Here we are trying to imagine the downside and do something about them right from the start. So this yeah. makes me optimistic. I wish we had more time, Yossi, because in fact you you haven't written one book. You've basically written like two or three in this single volume. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you cover in depth the basics of supply chain today. You go into international trade and regulation. And then in the second half of the book, you touch on what we've been talking about, automation technology and the like. So, so much more to talk about. But for now... The Magic Conveyor Belt, Supply Chains, AI, and the Future of Work, the latest book by Dr. Yossi Sheffi of MIT. Thanks so much. Always a pleasure to speak with you. Of course. It's wonderful to speak to you, and I hope we'll have more opportunities to speak in the future. That was my conversation with Professor Yossi Sheffi of MIT, talking about supply chains, AI, and the future of work. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain, and also watch videos on our YouTube channel. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? 
email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. Stay well, and see you next time.